welcome. I'm Robbie Stamp, host of this special episode of Happened Here, People, Places and the Stories They Tell. In a first for Happened Here, we are recording this episode, Burials, Bequests and Boundaries, live in front of an audience in a very fine tent at the Chalk Valley History Festival the biggest history festival in the world, nestled in the beautiful Wessex countryside in the southwest of England. The three brand new happened here happenings that we've devised for you today could have taken place within a stone's throw of this tent. Before we get going, a special thanks to Alex Langlands, the archaeologist, historian and broadcaster, who has kindly advised and steered us along the way as we chose these stories, bringing a real feel for people and landscape, an essence of happened hereness. And he is here as a special guest to whom we will be turning in a little while. Here on stage we have Olivia Bell, who has written and performed for Happened Here since the beginning of the podcast, and Viel Richardson, part of the founding team, and an editor, writer, and sound editor. So, Olivia and I plan to record three brand new Happened Here moments, created especially for the Chalk Valley History Festival. For those already familiar with Happened Here, we are departing from our usual format just a bit two new imagined stories for you about Anglo-Saxon England. There's always a challenge with writing stories about this era, but we've rooted both in research on the objects and landscapes we do have evidence for, and tried then to create a scene for each story to bring those alive. We then have a performance about place and people with words that may not have been heard live before an audience in these parts for over a thousand years. Then Olivia, Viel and I will talk together for a while about the making of Happened Here and the kinds of issues we take to heart in choosing and writing and sound editing the stories and are then open up to questions. Our first story takes place in the mid 10th century and Olivia is going to sing first in the Anglo-Saxon, the Old English, a beautiful poem which she will then translate to create the atmosphere for the next story. Without further ado, let's begin. Friends live on earth. Winflayeth's will. Wilton Abbey, three miles from Salisbury, Wiltshire. Written by Livia Bell. Performed by Livia Bell. See 
live on earth, lying in bed with their beloveds, while I, in the time before dawn, alone walk under an oak tree. In the earth's chest I sit many long summer days, weeping for the misery of exile and my many hardships. There I am never able to rest from my mind's grief nor from all the longing that in this life takes hold of me. Winflad hears this keening through her small window, haunting and sorrowful, and pauses in her reading to try to identify the singer who wails and cries outside the abbey's walls. So many have died these past few weeks of fever, of the cold shaking and the rattle of bone and breath, that who can tell who is mourning in the soft winter's light? She will need a candle to finish writing her will tonight, and carefully, so as not to spill wax on her precious vellum, she lights one. Dipping her quill in her horn inkwell, she looks back down at her script, rolling her holy veil between her fingers. She had felt so welcome when she joined Wilton Abbey after those awful first months of mourning her husband, such peace in joining the other widow vowesses in prayer, and such relief in knowing that here, in the Abbey, she's safe from her brother's threats to marry her off again, for what then would become of her dowry, her inheritance, her wealth? No, she's safe. Here she can choose how she will be remembered, here she can make sure Ethelflad and Eadma will be well cared for when she, too, slips away. She smiles as she thinks of her dutiful daughter, who had been such a comfort to her while she anxiously paced the floor, waiting for, and yet dreading, the moment the men would return from battle, or not return. Her horses, livestock and books, Athelflad would have no need for these, she'll leave them to Eadmar, who had grown to be such a serious man. But her wooden cups, decorated with dots, Athelflad would love those. Childrith, Othelbrith and Elsa, her fellow vowesses should take her black tunics and best headbands. Her engraved bracelets, though, and her linen gowns, they would be spread among her grandchildren. Here her pen pauses, dropping a spot of ink onto the will, as she remembers the soft, downy, twilly brocken and chirtel, her embroidered dress, that she only ever had the need to wear once, not long after her marriage. She feels her eyes moisten as she remembers her husband running his fingers over her shoulders, the smoothness of the silk. No, no use in such memories. 
to business. Her estate at Fakham, given to her by her husband as a wedding gift, that would go to Iadmir, and he too should oversee the other six or so farms and stables. Her beloved home in Chinnock, the abbey could make good use of that. Yersand and Snell, her slaves, would be useless to anyone. Best to free them and be done with it. Old Iad Yifu, the weaver, Athel Yifu, the seamstress, it's unfortunate for them, but they're too good at their duties to be freed. They should go to little Iada Yifu, who's becoming such a beautiful young woman, and would surely soon be married and in need of her own household. Darling Iad Yifu, she would have the best bed curtain, the best done tunic and the old filigree brooch. No expenses must be spared for her favourite granddaughter, who still, despite the fact she's now nearing womanhood, brings windflad berries hidden in her tunic, and whose golden laugh reverberates around the abbey. There, her whole world compressed on a single sheet, but what a relief, Winflad thinks, to have everything in order. She folds the sheet carefully in half, then lengthways and then again into thirds, and carefully opens the top drawer of her little chest for safekeeping. Tomorrow, she will tell Ethelflad that everything is in order. Tomorrow, she will wake again at first light for prayers, safe in the knowledge that everyone will be all right. She thinks again of her soft, beautiful dress and her husband's warm last touch. Smiling, she blows out her candle. Beautiful, Olivia, thank you very much. The poem Olivia sang, The Wife's Lament, is from the Exeter book, a rare compendium of old English poetry, and a copy of Winflaird's Will is in the British Library. And our next story imagines the burial of a young woman some 250 years before Winflaird contemplated her own death. Swallowcliffe Down, Wiltshire, They Borrowed a Barrow, written by Robbie Stamp, performed by Robbie Stamp. A thick pre-dawn mist sits steely soft across the land. Footstep on earthen path, the low murmur of chant. An owl breaks cover from a yew tree with a muffled thud. A family, its attendants and fellow mourners, leave the valley and begin the climb up the steep chalk escarpment. They are bidden to a ridge, the highest point on the down, where for some days now men have been at work cutting into an ancient barrow to create a new tomb in which the woman between 18 and 25 years old, who we shall one day name the Swallowcliff Princess, will lie. This has long been a place of sacred power. The people from the Bronze Age who chose this high place to bury their dead with its commanding views to north, south, east and west are far more distant in time to the men who dig now in these autumn days at the turn of the 8th century than we, sitting here today, are to them. Maybe this powerful woman's family have chosen this barrow as a way of laying their own ancestral claims to this ancient place, to the spiritual story of the landscape, and to the land's rents, and to people's fealty too, the sacred and the secular. A bed of ash wood, held together by iron rivets and bands, is lowered carefully into the gravesite. 
the men above and below ground, making the familiar hand gestures of easy now, slowly, slowly. The ash tree sits deep in the roots of this culture, Yggdrasil, the giant ash tree that linked and sheltered all the worlds. Now in the growing morning light, the more delicate task of lowering the clothed body onto the bed, and afterwards her mother insists that she shall climb down the small step cut into the turf so that it is she and no one else who shall arrange her daughter's body. Smell of earth and stone and newly cut wood. She has washed and tended the body and sat vigil since death took her girl. Amidst the grief too is the understanding that things are so in the way of weird the fibers which link human affairs across time and space. Her mother brushes her hair away from her face and wipes away a smudge of earth with a damp cloth. Grave objects are handed down which she carefully arranges around the body. Two buckets with bronze decorative fittings and iron handles, two beautiful glasses, palm cups of a blue-green, a box of maple wood, maple chosen maybe to ward off demons, is placed by her left thigh. It contains a silver spoon, a bone comb, and a bronze sprinkler to scent a room, a rare object of high status. A satchel decorated with a roundel, a flower made of 19 pieces of gold and silver. She fusses one last time over the arrangement of the hands above her girl's heart. Just so. The heart itself a hoard where the treasure of spirit dwells. The men backfill the grave and the mound is raised again. Maybe the sound of keening rolls across the hill. Maybe for this most precious of last devotions, there is only the sound of breath and birdsong as the morning sun rises to the east. So we, uh, we leave the Swallowcliff Princess all on her own up on the ridge in uh, one of the high places of the world. If you were to visit the Wessex Gallery at the Salisbury Museum today, you'd be moved to see the earthly remains of the Swallowcliff Princess, a rib, a vertebra and part of a pelvis. That's all that's left of the bone house, to use the Anglo-Saxon phrase, that once housed the, the thoughts and passions, the pains and pleasures that were as real for her as ours are today. We now want to welcome Alex for the next piece, which is entitled, Before You Beat Them, You Have to Name Them. Stove Tent, Chalk Valley History Festival, performed by Olivia Bell with commentary by Alex Langlands. So Alex, as we talked about what we might focus on for this episode, you alerted us to this key moment in English history and we just wonder if you could set the scene for us briefly for the words Olivia is about to read, which we genuinely think will be the first time that they've been heard in this valley for over a thousand years. Yeah, so Olivia's going to read what's called a boundary clause. And these boundary clauses appear in Anglo-Saxon charters. The king or bishop gives land to their thane and, and, or one of their ministers, and they grant that land with a charter. And in the charter, you have a clause we call the boundary clause, which is written in Old English, and it describes in meticulous detail the boundaries of that estate, making reference to individual landmarks, many of which we can find in the landscape of today. 
Lovely. And you were also going to help us to sort of set the scene with the people who might have been doing this as well. What's nice about this particular clause is that at the end of the boundary clause, it says we return to where we started. So we know that there's a group of people actually perambulating this boundary, setting it out in what is a grant, in effect, from the king to a royal nunnery at, at Wilton of a vast portion of land. So you'd have this sort of motley group of individuals rambling round the boundaries, made up of dignitaries, probably from Wilton Abbey, probably from uh, the royal court. You'd probably have scribes there, but you'd almost certainly have local people there because they are being consulted. What are the names of the landmarks? What are the legends? What are the stories that we can use to demarcate this landscape? And lastly, as the, the real expert, the validation that we think it will be the first time in a thousand years. Yeah, I mean, one of the reasons this part of the charter is written in Old English, vernacular language, whereas the rest of the document is written in the language of the church, Latin, Old English is telling us that this document has to function. So almost certainly the record of the bounds would be made, drawn up. They'd be brought back here to, probably to Chalk, the centre of the estate, probably to the church. This is in church bottom. So it is tantalising that actually 1,000 years on, we're about to hear these boundaries read out again for the first time. Thank you very much. Olivia, as it's just going to be read this time without a translation in the Old English, that Olivia's just going to sort of point you to a few words maybe specifically to listen out for. Yeah, so some of these words are going to be really similar to the words that we still use today. You'll hear acre, so an acre, lond for land, you'll hear weyers for way, and you'll hear me say along a weyer quite a lot along the way. There also will be words like stocken for stocks or, or posts. There are also some words in here that are quite idiosyncratic and quite fun. You'll hear um, wolf pitters, there's a wolf pit. There's also a bit that refers to a goat being killed or something happening to a goat or someone being killed for what they did to the goat. Um, but uh, I might skip over that one. <laughs> and to keep this as authentic as possible, I haven't actually read it out loud in full until now so that this really is the first time it's been said. So for anybody who still goes beating the bounds, literally hitting key landmarks around a parish boundary with branches here in England and Wales and some parts of New England and the USA at key times of the year, and they do, they are partaking in a very ancient linking of landscape and story. And it was indeed with words like these that it all began. Eireston asta wiarda biasten stocke thare hine landa up of ebeles burnon, on lag andra iadra ditch with elfelgeus and yermar. Thanna eet thare diche enda hit birth iast eana eker inen alfgeland. Thanna et thas akres up enda hit faith on the land, ye wirpu up ot landskare hinch. From dam Clincha, up onlang thar land yariepoa, oth wudu bur hila. Thane birth hit their west on thare knichte land, ane aker. Thona thanen eft anlang thare land yupiru. That thweris of a middle of that hich kimth to tha hathenem birglesem. Thona forth of a tha three crudalas of that hit kimth to than thorna. On thar pu on swa forth on lang of that hit kimth to than hocken garan. Thona, 
Behefe hitt thone garan uten otha titkim tu lansharweja. Thone forth on lagweyas, otha titkim tu chetolos beoria. Often beoria, that hitt titcheth on chiotteles hiafta. Thana tu michlen birg. Thona tu trogan, thonan tu chlos ritchika, on swa tu beor hames weja. Often weja tu bikan settler, thona ondlang weyes tu hilchiset liaga, and thana west tu lafres mira, thonan tu wolfpitan, thonan tu miark triaus, on swa tu bittendena. Thonan ondlang bittendena tu cortes hama, Thona forth othat hit kim thar mon thanet jol slo forthan buken. Thona thonan tu erse grafen forth. Thona tu med skeran. Thona on lang weas up onjene gran. On swa ond lang riches that hit kim tu beaches loara. Thona eft on lang weas tu schildes treaua. Aduna thona on lang lanchara dena. Thona, at thar dene ende, tuthan herbakth, at hiofad stoken. Ond nu fethit eft on the land hiemaru, at than hiofad stoken, huiren ofeth on the hirepithath, tu north dune ende. Thonan, tu birdinge ditch. Thona iast onlang riches of the fur. Ond thona, oftan pile iast onlang riches to stockholm lende. Swathana forth that hit chimth at inen ebeles burnan. Thona ondlangs triames tutan thar way ar onfengen. Thank you, Olivia. <laughs> Wonderful. So the ancestors of this valley. <laughs> So this is, in fact, episode 26 of Happened Here. And I'd like to talk now with Viel and Olivia about some of what goes into the making of a Happened Here podcast, how we choose the stories, the kind of issues that we think about. Olivia, you've written and performed for Happened Here for a long time. So are there any particular senses which, as, a, as one of the key writers, that you found in working on these stories? Yeah, I love to take something that already exists and try and contextualise it, make it a story that is related to a person. So Winflad's will, she did leave a will, we have the will, but then I'm thinking, who wrote it? Where was she? What was she doing? Right down to what was the inkwell made out of that she dipped her pen into? You know, how do we enter into that entire world through these documents that have been left to us, which are anything but stuffy? She's leaving behind her slave, she's leaving behind her special dress. Why is it special? These little hooks I love, and I've been really lucky with Happened Here to be able to work across so many different stories, including 18th century pickpockets with fake wooden bellies and hands, and Jenny Diver is the, this one's name, and she'd filch people's purses and, and hide them within her fake uh, pregnant belly. So these kinds of stories that you can find researching, and they're amazing, they're so evocative of a time. I think it's really interesting. One of the things we've tried to be very careful about is specificity. So if we're writing a story about Georgiana Spencer, Lady Diana's great, 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 aunt, I think it was, to be trying clear that the, the colour that we're using to describe her dress is the colour that was in season that year. And Viel, you sound edited a particularly powerful story about the Zong massacre. I don't know if anybody knows the story, but it's a terrible story about a, a slave ship that lost its way, and the captain, as a result, decided to start throwing men, women and children overboard, and the ship 
came back to London and he tried to claim on his insurance for the loss of cargo. And VL, you very specifically chose something at the end. So a little bit about the thought that goes into the sound as well. Yes, for that one, it was a sound effect probably talking about and it started off with African singing and then that was slowly taken over by a storm. And in the end, you couldn't hear the voices anymore. And I deliberately chose what's actually quite very joyous singing to start with because that represented where they came from or their culture. It was if you went back to where they came from, that's the kind of stuff you would hear. And it, to me, it kind of represented what was lost. And the storm for me was twofold. Once it was just a physical manifestation of what happened. But it was also metaphorical for what happened to their countries and the areas that they came from. Enormous numbers of people who were, you know, artists and writers and sculptors and singers and parents were just ripped away and taken off never to be seen again. That's the kind of thought which we go into with all of our sound effects. We really want it in some way to either heighten or reinforce or connect quite deeply with the story that you've just heard. So I was just going to ask Olivia whether you have had a favourite writing experience of the stories that you've, that you've done. Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> I've done a whole range of, uh, of stories that happened here. I think one of my favourites was one I did on Claude Duval, The Highwayman. I loved it because of all the reports from the time, men hated to be robbed by him, stand and deliver, because they'd lose all their money. But women loved it because he was so dashing. So you had this, this wonderful image of him arriving and all these women sort of very excited <laughs> to, be, uh, to be robbed. He used to bring his flute with him and play them a little tune before he took all their gold, which I thought was a lovely, lovely story. That was quite an interesting piece about doing the research as well, because there is a 200-year-old myth about him being buried in St Paul's Church in Covent Garden. And it's one of the things about using the internet for history, because, of course, this just gets repeated everywhere. But the current vicar of St Paul's Church told us it's a myth. And in fact, as a highwayman, he would have been hanged and his body dissected. We, we wondered, it's always that moment, we can carry on chatting, but there's always that moment, uh, sort of nervous moment to say, if anybody's got any questions, I think there's a, a mic which is available. Uh, I grew up just outside Swallowcliff. Do you actually know Swallowcliff? I have walked up the top once, but a long time ago, okay. so when I was a child. So it was entirely fictional, but no real... Well, there's a burial up there. What I wanted to do was imagining going up to that high place and the things we normally read about is the burial and the artefacts. And I wanted to imagine the leaving in the morning, the mourners having to walk up to the high place from maybe having been down in the valley. That story is, a, is an example of trying to use some objects, some thoughts, some landscape, and then try and make it more domestic somehow and more intimate and connected than sometimes just thinking about looking at objects in a display case. I thought it was beautiful. Thank you. Thank you very much. There's a question at the back. Hello. You mentioned about beating the bounce. 
Is it replicated all around the country, pardon my ignorance? Not at all. I mean, I, I well, I don't know whether it's replicated all around the country, but I think it's surprisingly popular. I mean, my brother has just been out beating the bounds in his local village in Oxfordshire, and it was beating the bounds with sticks and things. These things are very ancient, and people still do beat the bounds, yes. I don't know, Alex, have you got anything that you'd like to, to add to that? Yeah, in many parts of Europe, you have this tradition recorded but in some cases, as early as the ninth century. So we think it's sort of un- almost a sort of universal way of before paper using deed, oath, and gesture to set out your landscapes. It's given renewed vigour in the Elizabethan period with the Poor Law Acts. It becomes really important to know where your poor people live. So they start beating the bounds. Then we've got good records from there. By the time we get to the nineteenth century, they're almost sort of reenacting these beating the bounds. A gentleman in the front. Yes, I wasn't aware that it was an ancient tradition because it's something which I was part of as a chorister at the church. That's what you did. I'm a Dorset boy. We're in the Chalk Valley and we still do it every year uh, further up the valley. So it's it's very, um, it's today now. It's not something which I, I see as being the past. It's something which we live But as I say, these connections, and I suppose in a way, that's very much one of the things that we're trying to do with Happened Here is that, that I wonder what happened here, what happened here in this place. There's a lovely poem, which is George Trevelyan talking about history, which is something of the absolute essence of happened here. The poetry of history lies in the quasi-miraculous fact that once on this earth, once on this familiar spot of ground, walked other men and women as actual as we are today, thinking their own thoughts, swayed by their own passions, but now all gone, one generation vanishing into another, gone as utterly as we ourselves shall shortly be gone, like ghosts at cock crow. So this special live episode recording brings season three to an end. We'll be taking a break for the summer, but we'll be back in the autumn. In the meantime, check out the archive on your podcast platform of choice. Go back and find your favorites, share, subscribe, and do visit us at happenedhere.com where you can delve deeper into the archive and into the background of our stories. And those good reviews really do help. But for now, everybody involved in Happened Here, the writers, the hosts, the performers, to the audience here today, and indeed to everybody out there, thank you for listening. Do come again. We've got lots more stories to tell. Now, normally, at this stage, we play in the chant, but because we have Olivia here today, we're just going to ask her to improvise the happened here ending for the show. Ah, happened here. Thank you, Olivia. Thank you very much. Thanks, everybody. That's a wrap. (laughs) 